Well, we're going to continue this message series in 2 Timothy uh, in the Bible, a series called Nothing to Lose. And today um, we're five weeks into this and we're talking about endurance today. I do want to say personally that it is great to be back. Uh, our family was traveling. We were away for the last two Sundays. Uh, we drove north. We were in a, in, actually in a rented van and uh, we may have been a little bit like Pastor Stephen in a Dodge Charger, but... Um, those of you here last week might know what that's about, but that's beside the point. Uh, we hastily made our way north and back south for three reasons. One is we were picking up my son Stuart uh, from camp, from summer camp ministry, and then we had a three-day family reunion uh, to attend my, my parents and my siblings and that clan. And then we left my son Alex at the University of British Columbia. We drove about 3,000 miles, uh, which was all just well and good until the last kind of part of the trip home. Uh, before I talk about that, I want to show you a few pictures, just to give you a little context. You're like, oh no, it's family slideshow. Yes, I have to do this, just so you know. That's my, that's the clan I come from, uh, extended family. And then there's a picture of my, this is the first time we've been together in 11 years. So it's like kind of a big deal for us. The next picture shows me and my siblings. And yes, I, you can say it, I'm the youngest and handsomest of them all. Um, uh, so that was our family. And then a picture of where we gathered. This was where we held our family retreat at a, at a camp there. Uh, it's like California, but the trees are green. It's fantastic. Uh, it's just an amazing thing. So we had a, we had a great time. Um, but anyway, so we're driving. And as you know, on road trips, if you've ever made a trip north and then you're coming back south, somewhere this side of Redding, California, the scenic value of the journey plummets. And the road is like boringly straight and, you know, everyone in the vehicle just feels sore and, and gross and tired and, and it's the toughest part of the trip. You just, you just want to be home. You've been driving and driving and driving and yet there's five dreadful hours to go. You think, oh, and you have no choice but just to keep driving. It's not even fun at that point and things might have gotten a little tense at some point. Um, which meant it just got quieter, and there's only one thing to do. You just drive, drive, drive. Now, what keeps the wheels moving in a case like that? Well, it's, it's the goal of getting home. It's the destination that you look forward to. Road trips, of course, can be uh, come lots of fun. There's lots of things to enjoy on the way. If, you know, we'd come down through central Washington and central Oregon. It's gorgeous. All those places so beautiful. Yeah, Um but you endure it all, this, the slowdowns and the greasy food and the bad drivers and, and, you know, just the sore butt and everything. You endure it because of the final destination. You, you endure for what's to come. Now, in the Bible's second letter to Timothy, it's, it's from the Apostle Paul. And it's written to Timothy. We've, we've learned some things about their backstory, right? Paul, the older, seasoned, spiritual mentor for this younger um, gifted, but perhaps nervous or timid pastor of Ephesus. Timothy is his name. Um, we, we know that Paul's in prison, probably in the final days of his life. He's urgently passing his wisdom on to Timothy as much as he can. And yet he's looking forward to what's to come. He's looking forward to his eternal destination, going home to the presence of Jesus. Now, Paul himself had suffered greatly for the sake of the gospel, and he'd witnessed, no doubt, the brutal sufferings of other believers. Christians at this time were already being tortured, crucified, 
burned at the stake. And all those things were happening. Suffering was real then as it is today for many believers around the world. But Paul endured and was not deterred from his goal, which was this, to make the good news of Jesus Christ known to those who had not yet heard the good news. You can read about that in Romans 15, 20. It says, my goal is to preach where nobody else has preached. That's what I'm about. That's the goal of my life. That's the Apostle Paul. Because, because he knew his destination, right? It's ultimately the presence of Jesus Christ. Paul endured for the sake of Christ. He gave up everything for the gospel, even his life. And he urged now the same depth of commitment in Timothy. So if you've got a Bible, I went, we're going to read together, or I'll read for you. Second uh, Timothy chapters 2, starting at verse 8, and uh, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. If you're using that red Bible, it's page 1001. Second Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 8, and I read from the New Living Translation. Paul says, Always remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of David, King David, was raised from the dead. This is good news. This is the good news I preach. And because I preach this good news, I'm suffering and have been chained like a criminal. But the word of God cannot be chained. So I am willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. This is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. Remind everyone about these things and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. Such arguments are useless and they can ruin those who hear them. We thank the Lord for his word. Let's be seated together. There are at least three qualities uh, embedded in here to help us endure anything for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. After all, Paul says in, in verse 10, I'm willing to endure, he says, anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. Anything. Now, you, whatever's going on in your life right now, you might think, Brian, I, I'm not really thinking about the gospel. I'm just trying to get through daily life. I want you to grab hold of this because there's elements in this that are relevant to your daily life as well. But in this context, Paul is talking about his endurance for the sake of of the gospel. So there's three embedded qualities that are these. That what we remember can motivate us, that what we value can sustain us, and that what we hope for can satisfy us. So what we remember can motivate us, what we value can sustain us, and what we hope for can satisfy us. Three things. First of all, what we remember can motivate us. I don't think this is too hard of a concept to understand. For example, if you, if you remember nothing but great times in high school, guess what? You'll be motivated to attend each and every high school reunion that comes up. In fact, you hope for a few extras in between. What you remember motivates you. If you remember someone's hurtful words or actions in your life, you might be motivated toward unforgiveness or bitterness or even revenge. And, and, you know, we all know how pointless and how destructive that is in your life. If you remember something as simple as Thursday is trash day, then you'll be motivated on Wednesday night to take the cans to the street. I mean, it's not hard to understand. What you remember motivates, it, it, it puts your actions into motion. 
Now, Paul wrote, verse 8, he says, Always remember that Jesus Christ, the descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach, Paul says. Now, no doubt, Paul had remembered lots of other things. That he was forgiven and saved by the grace of Jesus Christ who had suffered for our sins. Paul remembered that he'd been called to preach the gospel. Paul remembered he'd been buried with Christ in baptism and raised to new life. And, and remembering Jesus, a descendant of David. Why would he say that? It means he's saying that because he's tying Jesus to a real person. Jesus is a real person in real history with verifiable life on earth. By remembering Jesus raised to life, crucified, buried, now alive, those remembrances motivated Paul to tell others about Jesus. He's saying, if if all that's true, if I remember all those things, well, then there's an action that follows. What you remember motivates you. Uh, As believers, we're called to remember Jesus not simply crucified, but alive. I, I have a friend who... He wears a crucifix, loves to wear a crucifix, wasn't raised Catholic or anything, but just loves his, his gold crucifix. And I when baptized him a few years ago, and I said, hey, I want to ask you about, you know, the, the jewelry you wear. What is that? You know, why do you wear that? What is the meaning to you of that? It's, oh, it just really, you know, reminds me of how Jesus suffered for my sins and all that he went through on my behalf. And I said, well, that's, that's great, but you'll notice that, I, you know, outside of the Catholic Church, as Christians, we usually have a empty cross. If you if you kind of go on a you know scavenger hunt around this building, you'll see lots of crosses embedded in some of the furniture and different things. Just right behind me, there's a there's a symbol of an empty cross. Now it's vital to remember the suffering of Jesus, of course, but the more powerful story isn't simply that Jesus was on the cross, but that Jesus is alive. That's what Paul wants you to remember that Jesus was raised to life. Jesus is alive. I'm really pumped about the Alpha course this fall. I've led the Alpha series a few times, and I just, I just love it um, because you've got good explanations of the gospel in, in um, a really understandable form. Um, I think it's a series that's perfect for the person who's not yet a believer. In fact, not even anywhere close, but... They're going to get exposed in a very non-confrontational way. It's perfect for the person who's kind of seeking faith. It's perfect for the person who's a new believer. It's perfect for the person who's committed to following Jesus Christ and wants to grow in their faith. It is, it is honestly one of the only one-size-fits-all programs I've ever come across. It is outstanding. And um, I'm actually going to have a short clip here to, to uh, show you this. Because in this little clip, Nikki Gumbel, the presenter, is talking about this sort of truth of Jesus Christ. Let's watch this clip from the Alpha Course Session 1. So it, it, it matters whether it's true. C.S. Lewis, again, C.S. Lewis put it like this. He said, Christianity is a statement which, if it's false, is of no importance. And if it's true, it's of infinite importance. The one thing it can't be is moderately important. So that's the question is it true? We'll we'll look at that in in a lot more detail next week. But for me, it was through... I was kind of... All my family are are lawyers, and I I wanted to look at the original documents. I wanted to look at the sources. And for me, it was through reading those documents, which we find in the New Testament, 
that I came to the conclusion it's true. And it has astonished me how much evidence there is for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Of course, there are many highly intelligent people who are atheists. But equally, there are many highly intelligent people who've looked at the evidence, who've come to the conclusion that it's true. Historians. One former professor of modern history at Oxford University described the resurrection as the best attested fact in history. I hadn't really realized how many of the pioneers of modern science were believers. Descartes, Newton, Kepler, Galileo, Copernicus, Faraday, Boyle, Mendel, Kelvin, Pasteur, Lister, Maxwell, Simpson. Or take one of the greatest scientists of our time, Francis Collins, who was director of the historic Human Genome Project, one of the most respected genetic biologists in the world. He talks about how he investigated the evidence and he was amazed, he said, at the historical evidence for Jesus Christ. And he describes going out one day and looking at the beauty of creation. And then he, he, he knelt in the dewy grass and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. Paul, the Apostle Paul, understood that what you remember will motivate you. Especially in relationships. Be careful about that, what you remember about people. Does remembering Jesus alive motivate you to any gospel action? So what you remember can motivate you. Secondly, what we value can sustain us. What we value can sustain us and keep us going in the, in the tough times. We're always at risk, I think, of, of valuing the wrong things or, or valuing things that aren't really going to help us that much. Um, not that there's anything wrong with material possessions and achievements, but, you know, if you value owning a nice car, right, that, that might sustain you in a boring job. So you're, those of you who didn't take the Dave Ramsey class and you're making payments on your car, um, wow, tough crowd, eh, Matt? <laughs> I think I, I think I touched on something sensitive there. Um, right? But you're motivated. Or if, or if you're taking a class that, that, um, and you want good grades, you'll endure, uh, a really difficult class because you value getting a, a good grade. Um, but like I say, possessions and, and achievements eventually are inadequate to answer the really big questions of life, the questions of purpose and meaning and value. Those, those possessions can't answer those questions for you. They won't sustain you in hardship either. Well, what did Paul value? Look, look with me at verses 9 and 10 uh, of, of chapter 2. We're going to put those on the screen and we read those. Here's verse 9, Paul says this, And because I preach this good news, I am suffering and have been chained like a criminal, but the word of God cannot be chained. Next verse. So I am un, so I am willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory to Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. So what did Paul value? Paul valued the salvation of all people, Jews and Gentiles alike. And for him, it was particularly toward the Gentiles. That their salvation through the message of the gospel. Paul endured beatings, 
shipwrecks, right? Imprisonment, poverty, uh, betrayal, all those things that he endured, all because he cared more about the salvation of others than his own comfort or well-being. That was what was most important to him. He, he says it this way. If you've got a Bible, you can turn with, uh, with me to Colossians chapter 1. Just, uh, uh, just go uh, back a little bit from 2 Timothy back toward uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Paul writes this. He says, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving His church by proclaiming His entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Ready? Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. Verse 28. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Paul, Paul didn't value the gospel and people's salvation some. He valued it more than anything else. That was his ultimate goal. That was his first priority. His value was salvation for people. And I, I, it's hard for us to even grasp that level of conviction, a willingness to suffer or even die just to share the message of Christ with others. Um, in November, we'll, we'll take a Sunday, uh, I think it's in November, we'll take a Sunday to kind of remember the suffering of the persecuted church and international day of prayer for the persecuted church and, uh, there's a story i want to share with you at that time about a about a south african family that felt called by god to go to afghanistan to do missional work evangelism and teaching and uh, this woman in the video tells the story of they they believed that god had called them they counted the cost and they went and while they were there in the midst of their ministry her husband and her two children our two teenage children were murdered uh, right there in Afghanistan in cold blood. And she tells the story that we, we went because we were called to go. She speaks as though it was worth it. I, I don't know if, if I can even grasp that experience. Her husband had said, we die only once, so we may as well die for Christ. Now, Paul, Paul suffered. Paul suffered in, in prison. He's in chains, he says. Me, I'm, I'm so ADD that I'm restless when my own sermon goes too long. I, I mean, this is like people around the world are, are dying for Jesus. And I'm thinking, I hope the coffee's, uh, you know, good today. I mean, our kind of concept of, of suffering is probably not very realistic. Um, but Paul is challenging Timothy to care so much about the salvation of lost people that, that you'll give up anything. I mean, that's the challenge for me. Will I give up my preferences, my, my comfort, the way I'd like to see things done? Will I do that for the sake of the lost? Will I, will I give up in the ways of generosity? Will I say no to myself so that I can say yes to the gospel? Two Sundays back, one of the things that I love about 
traveling and vacation is we always get to go to a different church and see how God's at work in different places. But two Sundays back, my uh, family worshipped at the church that we had planted 15 years ago. It's over a thousand people now. It's got beautiful facilities. They're terrific music, solid teaching. I mean, it's just a great church. It's, it's just so fun to, to be there. But I'm telling you, it was really hard work to start that place. Really hard work. Um, but we were fortunate that every person that came was there by choice. They, they chose to be there. Nobody was dragged there. There's no obligation or tradition that kept them there. And those early adopters, as we, as we planted that church, they endured lots of imperfection. They endured plenty of subpar music. They endured lots of mistakes on my part. Lots of kind of doing without, because we were on a, we weren't just on a shoestring budget. We were on like a, a like a thread budget. I mean, it was, it was just, it was tight. Um, but they valued reaching lost people. And that sustained them through that time. And so today, you know, many people are continuing to come to Christ and being baptized as a result. It's just so fun to see. It's so encouraging and exciting. And, you know, the challenge I'm asking myself and I'm asking you is, you know, what, what do we value? What's, what's, what's the sustaining value in our life? Do we, do we value salvation enough to sustain us in the hard work, sometimes costly work, of reaching lost people, reaching out with the salvation message of Jesus. So, what we value can sustain us. Lastly, what we hope for can satisfy us. What we hope for can satisfy. Hope is always about something that hasn't happened yet. Right? So, so you know, you, you hope that something will happen. Now, well, how can you be satisfied by something that hasn't happened? That's, that's what hope is. Um, verses 11 uh, to 13 has this... Um, kind of, it's probably a portion of, a, of an early church hymn, uh, song where Paul writes, it's a trustworthy saying, if we die with him, we'll live with him. If we endure hardship, we'll reign with him. Uh, we sang about that this morning. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we're unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So those first two lines in there, if, if we die with him, we'll live. If we endure, we'll reign. Those are, those are about hope. Those are lines about hope. From the earliest days of the Christian faith, believers have been lifted in hope because of what is to come. What we can't yet see. What we know will be. Uh, that, you know, the hope that we can even face an unjust physical death. A, a martyr's death even. Or we can deal with loss or poverty or, or going without all because Christ Jesus will represent us before our Heavenly Father because of our faith in Christ. And that we will live and reign forever and ever. We sang that in that song. You can read about that in Revelation 22. That those faithful servants of God will reign forever. Imagine everything is recreated. A new heaven and a new earth. Everything has been remade, made new. And, and Jesus is telling us in Revelation that we will be Invited to reign. Those who are endured are faithful to them will reign with Him. Will be in charge. Will be over all things. It's a remarkable thing. But if all your hope is in this life only, you will never be satisfied. You can hope all you want. You know, that, that you'll always have your kids and family around or that you'll always be comfortable and healthy and drive nice cars, all those things. But none of those things are guaranteed. They could be gone like that. 
you know it to be true. And they're not eternal. And so they, they can't satisfy eternally. And your hope will be disappointed. If we die with him, right? Paul says if we endure hardship, death and hardship, it's like almost like two realities for believers through history. Almost prerequisites to enjoy the future God has for the faithful. Living and dying with Christ. And if we're not faithful, if we deny Christ Jesus, then we have no hope at all. Because the promise then Jesus will deny you if you deny him. And it's, it's not saying that any of us are going to be perfect. But am I willing to live and to die with Christ? Or, or have I chosen to live and die with something less demanding? Something more comfortable, easier? I, I joke a lot about being a, a hockey fan. Go Sharks. And I do enjoy it a lot. But, you know, I hope I'm not living and dying for my team. Um, you know, it's good entertainment, right? Some of you are thinking like, you know, NFL season just started and you're like, how many games are playing today? Is it 11 or 13? You're like, I'm not going to that team night tonight. That was football. I'm, I'm not missing that. Um, you know, you're like, oh, it's just, you're just like right now you're just buzzing with excitement. Um, I guess you would have gone to the first service if you were that into it. And some of them probably were. I didn't see any jerseys, though, this morning. I will say that. Uh, but, you know, it's opening week and everybody's excited. But, look, it's, it's good entertainment. But if, if, you know, if I'm, for example, angry or depressed or withdrawn when my team loses or if I'm only happy when, the, when they win, then I'm living and dying for the San Jose Sharks. I'm not living and dying for Christ. We, we gotta be careful about what we live and die for. Some of us live and die for our offspring, right? Our children or grandchildren. Everything's wrapped up in their success or failure or where they live or where they travel. You know, some of us live and die for money or how much we have saved up and stored away for retirement. Or some of us, you know, live and die for our hobbies or recreation. Look, I, all those things are necessary parts of life, but Paul would say to us, look, live and die for Christ. Live for Him. Be ready to, to give it all for Him. And it's possible because of what we hope for, what is to come, because that's what will satisfy. I, I mentioned that you know we rented this van for our, our recent road trip. And I really was looking forward to driving a, a nearly new vehicle, um, knowing it would be safer and more comfortable, more reliable, faster, quieter, it would have Bluetooth, all, all those great things. Well, my hope for satisfaction was in that van. That's just like, that's what's going to make for a great trip. The right vehicle. Um, and you know what I discovered? Well, the van just like any other van. Four wheels and a steering wheel and shakes over 80. I mean, what else, what else could you ask for, right? Good in some ways, but did not satisfy my hopes. What you hope for can satisfy you, but if you hope wrongly, you'll never be satisfied. And if your hope is not in Christ for eternity, you're going to cling to whatever your earthly hope is like a toddler to a blanket. You're going to hang on in unfilled, unfulfilled desperation. Don't be that. Don't, don't go that way. Put your hope in eternal things that can satisfy. Put your hope in Christ alone. I'm going to make a little comment on verse 14 because we, we didn't get to that in the first service. But... Um, Verse 14 says this, Remind everyone about these things and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. Such arguments are useless and they can ruin those who hear them. 
Now, Paul, really what he's saying to Timothy is, look, get major on the majors and minor on the minors. Don't, you know, keep the big stuff big and the small stuff small. Don't, don't get distracted, caught up in fussing about things that don't matter. Now, for example, a few of you, I, I have no doubt that somebody here is probably frustrated that I didn't dig into this little theological problem in this passage where Paul refers to, it happened back there, I think, in verse um, uh, 10, you know, eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. And your translation might say those who, who are, are chosen by God are the elect. Um, you know, are we chosen by God or did we choose to be saved? We, is it free will or is it predestination? Honestly, the answer is yes. Um, both. Neither. I, I, I don't know. You know, smarter people than me have wrestled with that. But Paul is saying, this isn't a good example. Paul's saying, look, don't argue about words. Don't argue about things that aren't going to lead others to salvation. You're wasting your time. In fact, he says, it could actually be destructive to somebody to argue about stuff like that. Christians love to talk and dialogue and, and argue. But honestly, spiritual growth and spiritual effectiveness happens when there's action. If all we do is talk, 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 the devil's fine with that. We're not going to make any difference if there's no action. Um, most dying and shrinking churches have no shortage of good Bible studies. Right? They've got plenty of words, but there's a lack of action. Now, we can study the Bible all day long, and keep in mind, I'm a huge advocate of personal and corporate Bible study. You better be, hear me carefully on that whole thing. The Bible is central to what we do. We're, we're a Bible-believing church. But if there's no application from that, no real life, take from here, put into here, and into there. If that doesn't happen, if there's no fruit of people getting saved, if, if we're arguing about words, then we're doing more harm than good. So I want us to be careful about that and catch Paul's warning to Timothy. Now, more than anything, Paul understood that this life is not all we have. It's not all we have. So if there's more than what we have here, we'd better live with that in mind. It's like we want to keep our eyes on the things we can't see. How's that for a conundrum, for a paradox, oxymoron, whatever you... We're, 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 we're living for that which we don't have yet. Looking at that which we can't see. That's what it's about. That's where our our hope will be. That's where our endurance will be. Paul lived for this cause of bringing salvation to the unsaved. He, he was pretty good at it. Salvation of others was his reason to endure anything, he says, whatever hardship came his way. And I, you know, the question for you and for me is right in there. that What is our reason to endure? Do you, do you live on any kind of mission in your life to see others experience the saving grace of our loving God? Do you think about that, the people who live next to you or the people you work with, the people you carpool with? Do you think about, these people need Jesus. The salvation is for this person too. And not just for me, not just for those of us who've already made it in. What are you and I willing to endure for the cause of Christ. What you remember can motivate you. What you value is going to sustain you. And what you hope for is going to satisfy you. Hope for things that are eternal. Hope for things that matter. 
Hope for things that count for all, all, all time and beyond. Father, I again thank you that you have seen fit to preserve this letter, these words for us, this teaching. I thank you that it's life. I thank you for the example of Paul, who, Lord, he's just so distant and so far away, and, and, and it's hard for us to grasp how that applies today. Lord, we live in such comfort. We live in ease. We, we have it, things so good. God, we, we don't want to count on ourselves. We want to put our hope and our trust in you. God, would you help us to remember in a life-giving, in a life-changing way that Jesus died for us but is alive now. Lord, let us value people's salvation more than our own comfort, more than our own prosperity, more than, any, more than anything that, that would sustain us through whatever we need to experience. God, let us put our hope in you and find satisfaction in that. And church, as you're, we're about to head off into the week again, I, I just would challenge you, be just in dialogue with the Lord. God, what, what's, what's, what am I valuing in my life? What am I remembering? And what am I putting my hope in? And then finally, if you're a, a person who's not yet put your trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, you, you're here but you don't really... Have a, know what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You haven't given your life to Christ. You haven't experienced His hope for you. I want to give you that opportunity. Maybe you're today saying, I want to have eternal life. I want to put my hope in Christ. If that's you, we'll just invite you to raise your hand high and we'll pray together after the service. You're saying, I want the hope of Jesus in my life. All right. For the rest of us, it's seeking to know do I value the right things? Am I being sustained by the right things? God, we're grateful for your word. Let it soak and move and change and uh, make a difference in our lives this week. God, help us to love the people around us in ways we just never even thought possible. Help us hold loosely to the things of this earth so we can cling tightly to the things of eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.